Jesus is the Word of God in the sense that He is the expression of God. He is the revelation of God. He is the great self-expression. The person at the center of the Apostles' proclamation is called the Word because He is the self-expression, the self-revelation of God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part two of The Apostles' Proclamation. In the Acts of the Apostles, Paul confirms that in God we live, move, and have our being. And the Apostle John, in his first letter, states that Christ Jesus created absolutely everything, and at the same time, He Himself is uncreated. There's nothing in the universe that exists that Jesus didn't bring into being, and that's a simply incredible and amazing reality. Today, Tom will explore these truths, as well as take an in-depth look at the nature and quality of this life, a life that all believers enjoy because of the active work of Jesus Christ. Let's join Tom now to discover more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. John immediately makes it clear that Jesus was no apparition. He was no mere appearance, no vision, no group hallucination. He was truly human. He possessed real humanity. And that reality was tested by the apostles' physical senses. Notice the verbs that summarize their experiences. Verse 1, what we have heard. John says, listen, with our own ears, we heard Jesus teach. And boy, did they hear Jesus teach. Countless hours over three and a half years. He says, what we have seen with our eyes. John says, we saw Jesus Christ. We saw him at every time of the day and night. We saw him in many places across the land of Israel. We saw him over and over again for three and a half years. And oh, just in case you think this was a spiritual vision, notice he adds, with our eyes. What he saw was not some internal spiritual vision. It was a real person in the real physical world. He adds in verse 1, what we have looked at. This is a different Greek word than have seen. It means to look at something intently. It describes the literal physical scrutiny of something with your eyes so that you can intelligently interpret its nature and its significance. Burdick writes, they scrutinized Jesus so thoroughly that they had no doubt concerning his physical reality. He adds in verse 1, and touched with our hands. The apostles intentionally touched the physical body of Jesus to verify its physical reality. Again, by adding with our hands, he underscores this happened really physically. Of course, it certainly happened before Jesus' death during the three and a half years of his ministry. But it was crucial in validating Jesus' resurrection and the fact that his post-resurrection body was real. Jesus himself made this point in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. He said, see my hands and my feet, that it, is my, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus existed eternally, and Jesus was truly human. 
A third important truth that we learn in our text is that he is God's self-expression. He is God's self-expression. Notice the end of verse 1, concerning the word of life. Now, that prepositional phrase, concerning the word of life, describes the previous four clauses as concerning or being about the word of life. Literally, the Greek text says, the word of the life. John just doesn't want us to miss it. We're talking about real definite things here, the word of the life. Now, some commentators believe that the word here at the end of verse 1 is just a, a synonym for the message. So, you could say that the word is the message of the gospel, but it doesn't describe Jesus personally. Of course, the gospel describes Jesus, but the word is really just saying the message about life. However, it's far more likely that the word of life here refers to Jesus himself, not merely the message about him. Why? Well, let me give you several reasons. First of all, John often uses the preposition translated here concerning to describe persons. You can check it out in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Also, secondly, the phrases back in verse 1, those are about a person. Thirdly, what follows in verse 2 requires that we understand the word of life to be a person because he was manifested. They saw him. We can add a, a fourth reason, and that is that John is using this expression that is very close to the one he uses to introduce his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. In both verses, John 1, 1 and 1 John 1, 1, the Greek word is logos. The word for word is logos. It's a concept that appeared in Greek philosophy where it primarily represented reason and rationality, the rational principle by which everything exists. But undoubtedly, John is not dipping into, into Greek philosophy. He's drawing his use of this expression logos, not from Greek philosophy, but from the Hebrew Scripture. And if you go back to the Hebrew Scripture, you find that in the Old Testament, the Word of God is his self-expression in his revelation. It's the nature of God to reveal himself. And again and again, the prophets say what? The word of the Lord came to this prophet and that prophet. The word of the Lord came. For example, Isaiah 38, 4, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. This is John's primary emphasis here. He's talking about the Word, this person, is God's self-revelation. How do I know that? Because of how John uses it. Go back to his gospel again. John chapter 1, verse 18. At the very end of his prologue to his gospel, he writes this, No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God. By the way, the word begotten is a word that just means one of a kind, unique. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, that is, who enjoys the closest of relationship with the Father, He has explained Him. The, the word is literally, He has exegeted Him. So the Son is the exegesis of God. He is the self-expression of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He who has seen me, He said to Thomas, has seen the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. 
the writer of Hebrews makes exactly the same point in verses 1 and 2. He says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, he's talking about the Old Testament there, he says, verse 2, in these last days God has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is the Word of God in the sense that He is the expression of God. He is the revelation of God. He is the great self-expression. The person at the center of the Apostles' proclamation is called the Word because He is the self-expression, the self-revelation of God. A fourth truth truth about Jesus back in our text is this. He is self-existent and gives life to everything and everyone. He is self-existent, meaning He is life, He has life in Himself, and He gives life to everything and everyone. Look at the end of verse 1. He said, what I'm talking about here, it's about the person who can be called the Word of life. The Word of life. Now that could mean, that prepositional phrase could mean the Word is life, And in verse 3, Jesus is called the eternal life. Or it could mean the word gives life. I think because of John's penchant for double meaning, there's there's a good reason to believe he means both here. Because he makes both of these same points about Jesus in the prologue to his gospel. You remember in John chapter 1, verse 4, he says of Jesus, in him was life. What does that mean? Well, John explains it in chapter 5, verse 26, when he says this, Just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus shares equally in the self-existing life of God. Jesus' own life is eternally self-existent. I mean, think about it this way. Every living thing in this universe depends on God for life, right? I mean, there's nothing that has life in and of itself. There's only one being in the universe who has life in himself, and that is God. So by saying that Jesus shares that quality, that attribute, he's saying that Jesus is God. Jesus made this very claim that he that his own life was eternally self-existent. You remember in John 11, verse 25, he says to the sisters of his dear friend Lazarus at Lazarus' graveside, I am the resurrection and what? What is it? I am the life. I am the life. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Now, although Jesus is himself self-existent, he was the one who gave life to everything and everyone else. John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. By the way, John isn't saying the same thing two times in that verse. He's saying two different things. In the first half of that verse, he's saying Jesus created absolutely everything. And then when he says, in the second half of the verse, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, he's saying Jesus himself is uncreated. Nothing. There's nothing in the universe that exists that Jesus didn't bring into being if it's created. That means Jesus himself is not created. He created all things. Jesus Christ is the one who gave you physical life 
and who sustains your life moment by moment. Did you know that? You have life because Jesus Christ willed it to be so and continues to will it to be so. The moment he changes his decision about that, your life here is over. In John, or excuse me, in Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I have the keys of death and the grave. So he is the life who provides you life, and when he decides, he turns the key and you die. If you're in Christ, you are a Christian. If you have repented of your sins and believed in Christ, then understand this, he is also the one who gave you spiritual life and who sustains that life. This was Jesus' own claim. John chapter 10, verse 28, he says, I give eternal life to them. If you have eternal life, it's because Jesus Christ gave it to you. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Word, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of life, gives physical life to everything and to everyone, and He gives spiritual life to those who believe in Him. You need to understand that He is the only one who is life and gives life. And if you hope to have eternal life, if you hope to know God, if you hope to have fellowship with God, if you hope to have your sins forgiven, it's only in Him. You better seek it from Him. Jesus has life in Himself, and He gives life to all. A fifth truth revealed here about Jesus is He was manifested in human flesh. Look at verse 2. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. That's a reference to Jesus Himself. He is the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, as I noted for you, grammatically, this verse is a parenthesis in this opening statement. That's why our translators have put a dash at the beginning and end of it. But notice both at the beginning of this parenthesis, at the beginning of verse 2, and at the end of verse 2, John drives home a central theme of his gospel. The eternal Word of God, who is self-existent, who gives life to all, notice, was manifested. Now, you'll notice that verb is passive. This is what theologians refer to as a divine passive, meaning that this is something God has accomplished. And the word manifested itself means far more than just appeared. You read the Old Testament, and, and the second person of the Trinity often appeared to his people in the Old Testament. But this is something entirely different. Here we're talking about the historical event of the incarnation. Jesus was manifested how? In human flesh. Verse 1, that could be heard, seen, observed, and touched. It's John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Or Paul puts it even clearer in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and in that early confession of the Christian church, by common confession, Paul writes, great is the mystery of godliness. That is the mystery about this person. He who was revealed. The word revealed in 1 Timothy 3, 16 is the same Greek word translated manifested in our text. He who was manifested in the flesh. That's what he means when he says he was manifested. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You understand that the eternal Son of God, fully equal with God, everything that God is and does, Jesus Christ is and does, He became flesh. That is, He became fully human. He became just like you in every way except for sin. 
still continuing to be fully God, but adding to himself full and complete humanity. He had a human and has a human soul just like you do. He has a perfected now glorified human body. He was made flesh, manifested in the flesh. A sixth truth that we learn in our text is that he was eternally with God. He was eternally with God. Verse 2 says, we have seen and proclaim and seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, notice this, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The Greek pronoun translated which here is an unusual one, and the leading Greek lexicons say it, it should be translated something like this, the one who by his very nature was with the Father. The one who by his very nature was with the Father. Now, if that's bringing John 1 to mind, it should, because there, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Same expression. These two short expressions are making two separate points about the Word or the Word of life. First of all, he was a person distinct from the Father. He was with God in the sense that he was a separate person who accompanied God, And yet, he also enjoyed an eternal relationship with God. Notice, was implies past continuous existence. The Greek preposition with here, both in in 1 John 1, 2 and in John 1, 1, is not the normal Greek preposition for with. This word, this preposition, literally means to or toward. He was to or toward God. Literally, it has the idea of face-to-face with. In the New Testament, it almost always occurs in context when with means in a, an intimate sort of relationship. So John is saying the Word existed before the incarnation, even before creation, in an intimate relationship with God. He is a person distinguishable from the Father, but who was in an active face-to-face relationship with the Father. So what was that relationship? Look down in verse 3. His Son. He was His Son. God was eternally, Jesus was eternally with God in the intimate relationship of Father and one-of-a-kind, unique, nobody else in His category, Son. This is the foundation, the basis of the biblical doctrine of the Trinity because you have full equality. You have eternal existence. You have both having life in themselves and yet They are distinct persons, Father and Son. One God, eternally existing in three persons. A seventh truth that we learn in our text is that He is Jesus of Nazareth. This focus of the Apostles' proclamation is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Notice verse 3, His Son, Jesus. The name Jesus distinguishes Him as the historical figure that lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. So do you hear what John is saying? He's saying, let me just be very clear with you. The word of life was manifested in the flesh. That is Jesus of Nazareth. Folks, this is the foundation of our faith. This is what the Scriptures teach. This is what the apostles proclaimed. My question to you is, is this what you believe about Jesus Christ? Finally, He is the promised Messiah and Savior. He is the promised Messiah and Savior. In his, you see this in verse 3, his son, and then notice this, Jesus Christ. 
in his name, Jesus, and in his title, Christ, Christos, the anointed one, we learn why he was manifested in the flesh. Take the name Jesus. You remember that God demanded that Jesus be named with this name. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you remember the, the angel showed up with Joseph and he said, listen, um, you're going to call the child that's in Mary's womb Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers, Yahweh rescues. And then listen to what the angel says next. Call his name, call the child Yahweh saves because this child, he will save his people from their sins. You see, that too is a claim of deity. He says, call him Yahweh saves because he, the child, will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. His name explains his mission. He came to be the Savior. Look at chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 John. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In his title, Christ, you see this same reality. Christos, in the Old Testament, the Messiah, Hamashiach, was the one God appointed to deal with sin. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you remember? There's going to be a, a unique individual who will come who will crush the head of Satan. He'll deal with sin. How? Well, as the Old Testament unfolds, we learn how. You get 700 years before Christ in Isaiah chapter 53, and we learn exactly how. Because he will stand in our place and absorb the wrath of God against our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastening for our shalom fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, the guilt of us all, all of his people. He's called our iniquity, literally the Hebrew says, to strike him. On the cross, God struck Jesus with your guilt and the justice that guilt deserved if you're in Christ. That's how. And of course, John makes this clear. Go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. This all happens through his blood that we have the cleansing of sins. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's justice for our sins. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about one of your own making. I'm talking about the one we have seen that was at the center of the apostles' message. The apostles of Jesus Christ taught that you can be forgiven of all of your sins against God, that you can have fellowship with God, verse 3, and later in John, that you can know God. Think of the, the amazing reality of that. All of those things can be true. How? Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Go over to chapter 5, verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar because he 
has not believed in the testimony that God has concerning His Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Listen, your only hope is found in a person, the person at the center and focus of the declaration of the disciples, the apostles, and that is Jesus Christ. Run to Him today and find those realities. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, The Apostles' Proclamation. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.